This is Chris Brooks. Thank you for listening to this edition of Equip. Be sure and subscribe for free so that you don't miss an episode. For more information, visit our website, equipradio.org. Hey there, friends. Welcome to another exciting edition of Equip with Chris Brooks. So thrilled that you've joined me today. Why don't you do me a favor? Strap on your seatbelt. We're going to navigate through the contours of culture, as always, with the lens of the biblical worldview on. But before we do that, let me remind you, this is the day that the Lord has made. He has given it as a gift so that you and I can rejoice and be glad in it. So let's do just that. Let's follow the words of the Apostle Paul. Let's rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And with that, I welcome you into what will be a very exciting edition of Equip because we get a chance to study God's word together. You know, if you've been following the program for any length of time, you are aware that one of my greatest passions is to open up scripture, to study it together so that we can understand God's word better. So hopefully we can love him more and share him with greater passion with our family, friends, neighbors, and loved ones. You know, I am someone who uh, daily commits myself to spreading the good news of Jesus, but you can't spread what you don't first know, or, or you can't really share with clarity and passion what hasn't impacted your own life. So I just want to say this, that my greatest invitation to you this year, as we start this new year out, is to take a journey in studying the Word of God, reading the Word of God. Now, I know the risk in that. We are not a culture of readers anymore. A good friend of mine used to say that uh, our current culture reads with our ears, and and that means that we are far more audio-driven than we are visually driven. And though there are a lot of ways to engage the word from an audio perspective, audio Bibles and the such, I do believe that reading the scriptures for yourself slowly, faithfully, consistently is still the best way to engage the word of God. Not to say the only way, but I still believe that reading scripture is the best way. And so I want to encourage you today to join this journey of reading the Bible, reading the Word of God. And I want to give you just a couple of reasons why I think this is so important. Number one, I think it is important because you need to see what Jesus says about himself. You know, there's a lot of versions of Jesus out there, activist Jesus, or maybe political Jesus. Uh, You've seen all of the different people who've spoken about Jesus. Certainly there's passive Jesus out there, but who was Jesus really? What the Bible does is helps us to understand the character of God, and it helps us to understand his mission in his own words and who he is. And so that's one reason. Secondly, if we're going to be folks who can answer the questions of others well, questions that people have about the gospel, we need to be Bible readers. And I want to speak specifically to parents. You know, I got kids who ask tough questions. Kids do ask really, really tough questions. 
oftentimes very sincere. But I got one of those kids who says why at the end of every statement I make. I got another kid who just thinks really, really deeply. I got another one who uh, has a sense of humor, and that often shows up in their questions. But however the questions come, as a parent, as a as a dad, I want to be faithful in helping to answer those questions because I realize it is just a window of time, and I only have a little bit of opportunity with my kids to really help them to understand why Jesus is worth following. Uh, just one last reason. I really do believe that reading the Bible is the pathway to uh, being the type of person that you long to be in your heart. So many of you have said, man, I want to be a better husband, better wife, better parent, better person. How do you do that? Well, I'm just going to tell you right now, it's not going to come through some infomercial. It comes through understanding, knowing, and living God's Word through the power of His Spirit. We can't live it out uh, just because we read it, but God does an amazing thing in our own hearts when we do. So there's a tool that I have a resource that I believe will really be a blessing to you. I've been encouraging you to consider getting it all month long. Many of you have responded. It's called 52 Weeks in the Word. It is a companion for reading through the Bible in a year. Trillia Newble has put this together. The beautiful thing is that she has broken down a great reading plan for the year. It's guided by a few basic questions. So when you read the chapters for that day, or maybe it's just a chapter for that day or some verses, but when you complete your reading, three questions. What does this teach me about God and his character? Where do I see Jesus in this passage? What do I learn about the gospel and how can I apply this to my life? It is great. She breaks down how much time it will take for us to read that section for that day. So for those of us who are busy, she breaks it down for us and also helps us to understand God's Word. For those of you who have wanted to read through the Bible, maybe been a little bit intimidated by it, and you want to make sure you can understand it, I want to invite you, call the number 888 644 4144. It's a phenomenal resource. It'll be a blessing to your life. A gift of any amount will send it out to you. If you've not done it, been thinking about it, now's the time. 888-644-4144. Do it now or go to our website, equipradio.org. Today, I'm so excited about this message. We're going to look at John 13 and talk about which way, which way is the right way when it comes to the religions of the world, the world philosophies, or maybe even more importantly, why should I follow Jesus? Well, Jesus answers that question in John's Gospel, chapter 13. Grab your Bibles, open up to John chapter 13, and I believe you're going to be blessed. We've been in a series on what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to be a follower of Jesus in a culture that is anti-Jesus, in a world that is uh, against and hostile often to the message of the gospel. And we've been studying how, though it's difficult, it is possible for you and I to follow Jesus if we allow Christ himself to be our example. He comes as our Savior, but 
he also comes to model for us what it means to be faithful to the Lord as we honor the Father. Now, when we were together last time, we had opened up John chapter 13 in this washing of the feet of the disciples. And what is interesting about this section of scripture is it's called the farewell discourse. It's called the farewell discourse because, as John records it, it's the final kind of instructional moment that Jesus has with his disciples before he heads to that cross, where he will die, not the death of a thief or a robber or a criminal, but the death of the sinless lamb of God dying on our behalf as an act of love, his substitution for our sin. We were guilty, but as God the Father, the judge of heaven, raises the gavel of heaven to render the verdict, Jesus steps in and says, though they are guilty, I will take upon them, uh, upon me, their punishment and in exchange give them my innocence. Aren't you glad that we can stand before the Father, not all of our marriage, but because of what the son has done, as we just sang what he's done, and we can stand before him righteous, holy, and redeemed because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. How many praise God for that? Now John opens up what uh, is really a dialogue that is happening during Holy Week. Most Bible scholars will say that this dialogue that goes from chapter 13 through 17 is happening all in one evening. It's happening on Thursday of Holy Week, right before what we call Good Friday that leads into Silent Saturday and ultimately culminates in Resurrection Sunday morning. Here Jesus is, and in spite of his power, knowing that he had come from God and he was going back to God, you would think that he was going to display his strength in a miracle or a sign or a wonder, but he demonstrates his strength by washing their feet. It's a humbling thing, and I think it was designed to be just that. The act of Jesus washing their feet, the Lord of glory, putting a towel around his waist, washing their feet, drying it off. It convicts me and maybe you as well, hopefully all of us, that if he can wash feet, so can I. Not only literally, but figuratively, how many opportunities do we have to serve those that are in need? And I don't know about you, but I often miss those moments and and blow those opportunities. And I think that's what Jesus was after. He wanted us to have something by way of his example that deepened our humility. But there's a second thing that Jesus is doing. He is not simply trying to make us more humble, but in many ways in this dialogue, he is defining the Christian faith. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? How do we know who we follow. How do we know what a disciple is? Well, Jesus defines it, and I want you to look at verses 33 through 35. And what's amazing to me is he could have defined it a whole myriad of ways, but look at how he defines what it means to be a disciple. Verse 33, when you're there, say a big amen. Amen. Little children, yet a little while and I am with you, you will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, Where I'm going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also ought to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. I want you to see how he defines the Christian faith 
I first want to show you how he did not define Christian faith. The platter is set for him. He could have defined it any myriad of ways, but I want you to notice first that he did not define the Christian faith politically. Notice that he didn't say that by your ballot shall all men know that you are my disciples. By your partisan politics, by your political party. That's not to say that policy issues are unimportant. They are. From the protection of life in the womb to the supporting of the poor to the caring for immigrants. All of it is is so, so important. But yet it is to say that Jesus assembles men and women as followers of his that are from different political persuasions. Look at the disciples themselves from across the spectrum, but what unites them is faith in Jesus Christ and this declaration that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. And that is ultimately what he is trying to bring us to. Notice also that he did not define what it means to be a follower of his ethnically. Notice he could have defined it ethnically, couldn't he? Couldn't he say by the village you're born in, the race you're born in, by your skin color, people will know that you are mine, but he chose not to define it that way. Yeah, he could have defined it politically or ethnically or geographically, but instead he defines it socially. He defines it relationally. He defines it compassionately. By this will all men know you are my disciples based off of how you love one another. And again, that is humbling and convicting because when I think about him being the standard of love, I realize that I fall so woefully short. One of the things that happens when we think about Jesus is we realize there's such a gulf between us and him. But that's why he came. He came to bridge the gulf between us and him. So maybe like me, you do realize, man, I don't measure up to the standard of love that Jesus lays out. But that's okay because he has come to love us to the Father so that we might experience his transforming grace and power in our lives. Friends, we're just getting started. Stick with me. We're going to come back, dive deeper into this message, and I believe it's going to be a life-transforming journey for you and for me. Don't go anywhere. So much more of Equip to come on the other side of this break. Next up on Equip. This daily program is fully devoted to coming alongside listeners like you to give you the tools needed for a successful walk with God. As one of our loyal listeners, would you be willing to become an equipper? Your monthly contribution will be applied to equipping others all across the country. Plus, as an equipper, I'll send you regular emails that contain brief pastoral messages prepared just for you. To become an equipper now, call 888-644-4144 or go online to equipradio.org. Well, hey there, friends. Welcome back to Equip with Chris Brooks. Have you dialed the number yet? 888-644-4144. We're reading through the Bible in a year together. I'm on that journey. I want to invite you to join me and a whole host of friends as we read through the Bible together. And we're using a resource by Trillia Newble, 52 Weeks in the Word, 
It's a companion for reading through the Bible in a year. You've wanted to do it. Now's the time to say yes. Dial the number 888-644-4144 so you get your hands on a copy of the resource. Today, we're listening to a message from John's Gospel, chapter 13. And, and I think it is the most powerful illustrated sermon ever preached. Jesus is washing the feet of his disciples, but while he's doing that, he is teaching them something very important about forgiveness, about the confession of sins, about him being the only way, the only truth, and the only life. Now, I preach this as part of a broader series on the life of Jesus at my home church, Woodside Bible Church, here in Southeast Michigan. If you're in the metro Detroit area, we'd love for you to check us out and maybe come and worship with us at one of our campuses. But all of this really is an outflow of a broader passion, and a broader passion is that you might read the Word so that you can know who Jesus is more clearly so that you can love him more deeply and experience his love more fully. That's my driving passion and the reason why this message series is so, so important. And for many Christians throughout the centuries, they've turned to the Gospel of John as a place of learning who Jesus is, knowing his word, and understanding his heart and his compassion. So why don't you join me as we go back into the message which way and study John uh, chapter 13. It's going to be a blessing. Let's do it. Jesus illustrates sermons better than anyone. And he doesn't need props to do it. He doesn't reach into a bag of tricks and pull out some props to illustrate what he's about to say. He has people, disciples right in front of him. And they're, they're the only illustration he really needs. And And this leads into the Lord's Supper, and there's three people that we're going to highlight today. Though there were many around that table that night, his intimate followers, there are three that I want to highlight. Judas, Peter, and Jesus himself. To contrast how we can live our lives and where that will lead compared to if we follow Jesus. The first point that I want to make is illustrated through the life of Jesus. That the self-interested follow Satan. When we are driven by our self-interest, make no mistake about it, we will end up following the way of Satan. Look at what it says in verse 21. In chapter 13, after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom he loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple leaned back against Jesus and said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, what you're going to do, do quickly. 
I want to pause there for just a moment, and I want you to see this scene. It is so interesting to me, so profound to me that it, it merits our attention. Jesus is sitting, having a meal with his disciples, and he is troubled in spirit, not because he does not know what's about to happen, but because he does know what's about to happen. Jesus knew all things. As the second person of the Godhead, he is omniscient, all-knowing, and he knew that he was going to be betrayed, but what grieves him in spirit is he prepares now for the verdict of his, his ministry, the mission for which he came, that death on the cross, is that now he has to announce to this band of brothers of his that one of them is a betrayer, that one of them is a false disciple. Make no mistake about it, you're not a disciple just because you have a necklace with a cross on it around your neck. You're not a disciple just because you got a t-shirt that says, Jesus is my homeboy. You're not a disciple just because you go to church. I wish I could tell you you were. But the fact of the matter is what proves whether or not we are his disciples is our love one for another, starting with him, motivated by him. As a matter of fact, it is our love for him that allows us to love one another. And so Jesus has these men sitting around the table, and I want you to picture the moment. Jesus announces, one of you are going to betray me. And I appreciate their uncertainty. They're all uncertain. Who is it? Is it me, Lord? Is it me? Is it, is it him? Who, who is it? And I think there is a fair share of uncertainty we should all have about our potential to betray Jesus. Because all of us have the potential of being Judas. Don't, don't ever get to the point where you think that I would never be Judas. Don't ever get to the point where you say to yourself, I would never go that way, betray Jesus in that way, or commit that type of sin. There is a temptation, friends, that unless God strengthens you in the face of or shields you from that all of us would give in to. And maybe it's not the same temptation. For some, it's drugs or alcohol. For others, they say, that's not my struggle. For some, it might be money or opportunity. For others, it might be sex or, or lust, whatever the case may be. But by the grace of God, there go I, I and you, we all had the potential of being Judas. And, and I love Peter. Peter is, is uh, so much like me. He lives by the principle of life. When in doubt, when you don't know what to do, just do something. So Peter looks over and he sees John, who refers to himself in humble terms, not by name directly, but as the beloved disciple. He sees John leaning up against Jesus or eating near him, reclining near him. And I can just picture it now, Peter motioning across the table saying, John, you asking, which one, which one? And so John leans back, Lord, which one? And Jesus says, the one that, that eats this bread, this morsel of bread, after I dip it, that's the one. Now imagine now Judas. Jesus has announced publicly somebody's betraying me. You know it's you that's betraying him. And yet, you refuse to confess or repent. It was his moment, and he missed it. 
And the Bible says that he missed that moment of confession or repentance. He took the bread and Satan filled him or took over influence in his life. Some of you that are sitting here today are Judas. You know you know the act of betrayal. Maybe, maybe you haven't done it yet, but maybe like Judas, you've planned it out. The plot, the scheme has already been written out. Maybe you haven't committed the adulterous affair yet, but you've already planned it out. Maybe you have not betrayed the trust of others, but you've already planned it out. Maybe you haven't acted on it yet, but it's already planned. This is your moment. Don't miss your moment to confess your sins. Man, this moment is so powerful to me. I I just picture it. When I read scripture, I don't know about you, but when I read scripture, I want it to be a multi-sensory experience. I don't want to just read the words on the pages, but I want to step into the scene. And as I picture in my mind's eye this particular moment, I picture these men so vulnerable as Jesus washes their feet and they get the opportunity to unload the burden of sin that's been on their souls, the weight of sin that has been on their hearts and maybe even kept them from rejoicing, experiencing the abundant life that God created them to experience, maybe even harming relationships. Listen, like these men, we are invited to confess our sins before Jesus, to be cleansed by Jesus. And so don't miss the moment. Don't miss the opportunity to confess your sins before him. Even during this break that we take, just uh, use it as a few moments of prayer to unburden your soul so that you can experience freedom in Christ. Friends, so much more to come so you don't go anywhere. We are going to be right back with much more next up on Equip. Let's begin this new year by committing ourselves to reading the Bible more and understanding it better. Will you join me? I have a wonderful new resource to keep us on track and inspired. It's Trillia Nubel's new book, 52 Weeks in the Word. This insightful resource even offers days of rest and reflection on what we've read. You can request your copy today with the gift of any amount to equip. Call 888-644-4144 or go to equipradio.org. Welcome back to Equip with Chris Brooks. We're having a great day studying God's Word. Do you love Scripture? Do you love the Bible? I pray that you do. And when you think about Equip, I pray that part of our passion that you would know is a passion for Scripture, a passion for the Word of God. As a matter of fact, throughout this month, our featured resource is 52 Weeks in the Word, it's by Trillia Nubel, and I've been telling you about this resource, the things that I think are cool about it, but let me just tell you what you get with it. You get a reading plan. You get reflections from various folks about uh, the Word of God. You get prayer prompts so that it can help you with your prayer life, and here's the thing that's cool about it. Built-in rest and catch-up days, so if you're 
like me and your life gets busy and sometimes you start and stop, start and stop, this reading plan is designed for that. Space for your own reflections and so much more. I appreciate Trillia for creating this resource. I want to invite you to get your hands on a copy. 52 Weeks in a Word, it's a companion for reading through the Bible in a year. And maybe you're a skeptic about Christianity. Let me just say, you owe it to yourself to make sure what you're rejecting is is actually the Bible and Jesus in his own words, not a caricature that you've seen on social media. So even if you're a skeptic, get it, 888-644-4144. Go to our website, equippedradio.org. All right, we're going to go back into the Gospel of John, chapter 13, as we consider the question, what's the big difference between Peter and Judas? You might be surprised. Listen to this. You know, there is no major difference between Peter and Judas. They both denied Jesus, both betrayed, but the difference between the two men is that one, Peter confessed and repented through tears and wailing after his betrayal of the Lord. He cried out for forgiveness. Don't miss your moment to confess and repent. We all know what it's like to be caught in sin. And you know, if you're a parent, there are times when your kids and their sin is even humorous to you. Have you ever caught a kid red-handed and they still denied? that it was them. I mean, crumbs all over their face. Who ate the last cookie? I have no idea, Dad, who ate the last cookie. Anybody ever been through that before? I remember one of my children who, for their protection, will remain nameless. Uh, They were young at the time, just a toddler, and we were in the potty training season, and I was asleep in the bed, and my wife uh, was awake, and she was with uh, the little one, and uh, uh, they got separated a little bit, and the little one was standing next to the bed, diaper around the ankles, had peed on the floor. My wife comes in and says, did you do that? And in a moment of sinfulness, pointed at me and said, no, daddy did it. I couldn't believe it. I had been betrayed on the highest level. Here I am, innocent and sleep. I woke up, looked at my wife and said, it was not me. I promise you. I got issues, but that ain't one. It's cute when it's kids. It's not cute when it's adults. And as a result of that sin, lives are going to be damaged. People are going to be hurt. Ruin is going to come. Maybe to a family, maybe to a company, maybe to a church. My friends, when you are Judas, your self-interest will cause you to follow Satan. But know this, in his mercy, he presents every single one of us, me and you, with the opportunity to confess and repent. Don't miss it. And then there's Peter. Verse 36 picks up his angle on the story. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can't I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Look at Peter. 
If uh, Judas, Judas is, is self-interested, Peter is self-confident. And if self-interest causes you to follow Satan, self-confidence causes you to follow the flesh. He, here is Peter saying to Jesus, I, I, I'm going to follow you wherever you lead. And Jesus says, Peter, you can't follow me now. Not referring so much to a destination as much as to a way through which he would die, that he would die this death on a cross. Later on, Peter would follow him that way. He would actually suffer and die and be crucified. And history tells us Peter wanting to honor his Lord, not thinking himself worthy to be crucified in the same manner as his Lord, was actually crucified upside down. But in this moment, Jesus says, it's not your moment, Peter. But Peter, being the self-confident man he is, again, living by the principle of life, when you don't know what to say, just say anything. (laughs) Says to Jesus, I'm going to follow you even to death. I will die for you. Can't you see the love song behind that one? I would die for you, right? And this is the problem, is that Peter, through his poetic language, has convinced himself of something that's just not realistic. It reminds me of the love songs of our day. We got a lot of great love songs, a lot of great ballads of our day. You better be careful listening to the lyrics of these love songs because it might cause you to get an over-romanticized view of marriage and relationships that no one can live up to. Recently, one of my children, who again will remain nameless, introduced me to the lyrics of Bruno Mars. Anybody ever heard of Bruno Mars? He has this song called Just The Way You Are. Listen to these lyrics. Her eyes, her eyes make the stars look like they're not shining. That's a lie. Her hair, her hair falls perfectly without trying. I feel like saying, Bruno, if you knew how much money she spent on that hair and how much time she put into making it look like it's not trying, you would know that's a lot too. It's trying. But people believe these. There's nothing wrong with the poetic language until you get married and you wake up in the morning and you realize her hair don't fall like that all the time. But I digress. The reality is, is that we got to be careful because if we're not, not careful, we'll, we'll be self-deceived. We'll, we'll convince ourselves that these things are true. Peter had convinced himself that he would die for the Lord. And the Lord looks back at him and says, Peter, will you die for me? You don't get it. You're not going to die for me. I am going to die for you. You are the one that needs a Savior. You see, Peter had forgotten But by the grace of God, there go I. He had forgotten that I need thee. Oh, I need thee every hour. Lord, I need thee. He had forgotten that it's the spirit of God that sustains and keeps us, that we are far more dependent upon God than what we even realize, that every moment of every day that we need him. I don't know about you, but I have graduated from the place of just wanting him. I don't wake up on Sunday mornings to get dressed and come to this building because I'm a fan or because it's it's a fun or nice thing or because Jesus is socially beneficial. I'm not here because I want him. I'm here because I need him. Anybody else with me today that you recognize you need him for the air you breathe. You need him for life, health, strength, and obedience to the will of the Father. Theologian D.A. Carson puts it this way. 
Tragically, the boast that he would never deny the Lord, even to the point of death, displays not only the gross ignorance of human weakness, but a certain haughty independence that is the seed and root of self-deception itself. Peter was self-deceived. I don't want you to be self-deceived, thinking that somehow you're better than other Christians, and somehow you are better than other people who have fallen short. May we live with a humility that says, God, I need you to keep me. And you know you've stepped over into the realm of self-confidence when you have a prayerless life. A prayerless Christian is a dangerous Christian. A prayerless Christian is a self-confident Christian. But when you find yourself daily in that quiet time with an open Bible before a resurrected Savior saying, Lord, help me to live this way. Produce within me the fruit of the Spirit that I cannot produce apart from your Spirit. Then, then are you in your safe place. Man, what a great reminder that knowing Christ, coming to him, creates a safe space for us, a safe place for us to cry out to him about our need. You know, I'm needy. (laughs) I, I hope you know that you are too. We all are desperately in need of a few things, the grace of God being one. I can't live this life without a Savior, and I can't navigate the Christian life without the grace of God. And so cry out to him today. If you need grace, if you need forgiveness, if you need mercy, you have come to a safe space. The only folks here are sinners saved by grace. If you need him, I want to give you a phone number you can dial as well. It's 888-NEED-HIM. We're going to talk more about Jesus next up on Equip. Welcome back to Equip with Chris Brooks. We've been studying one of the most famous passages of Scripture in all the Bible, John chapter 13. John has been beloved by Bible readers for centuries now, and I think it's because he presents Jesus as not only Savior of the world, but Jesus as one who offers us compassion and forgiveness. And in this season where there's so much hatred, anger, division, and vitriol in the world, we need to see that Jesus came with grace and truth. You don't have to compromise one for the other. If you want to follow Jesus, then you are being invited to follow the one who brings us both grace and truth together. Well, we've been studying about various ways that people have approached God I've affectionately entitled them the way of Judas and the way of Peter, but we found both to be deficient. So the natural question that we're going to take up, if we can't follow those ways, which way should we follow? Why don't you grab your Bible, John chapter 13, as we land this plane in the heart of the gospel and this message, which way? Let's go there, and I believe you're going to be blessed. If I can't follow the way of Judas or follow the way of Peter, who do I follow? Well, the answer is Jesus, and he shows us what the God-centered life looks like. The God-centered life followed Jesus, and it says in verse 31, 
When he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified. Underline that title, the Son of Man. And God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while and I am with you, you will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I say also to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It's interesting because the commandment that he calls new seems to be consistent. From Genesis to Revelation, from the Old Testament to the New, that we are called to love one another. But what makes it new, the kicker of it all, is that he says, just as I have loved you. And that's also what makes it such a high bar because he loved them to the full extent, it says in the beginning of this chapter. He loved them even to the laying down of his life. Who have we loved that way? Who have we loved sacrificially? Not only to the laying down of our lives, but maybe to the laying down of our comforts, our conveniences. You know, some of us have denied obedience to God because it would be inconvenient. It would mean that I would have to sacrifice my standard of living or my comforts. I don't say that judgmentally. We all struggle with it. But it's time God is calling us to say yes to him. Now, I want you to notice something else. That he talks about this type of sacrificial love, this cross-centered love, in a conversation about his glorification. He refers to himself as the son of man. Now, this was Jesus' favorite title for himself. Seventy-five times in the gospel, he refers to himself as the son of men. For those of you who know Bible prophecy, this is taken from Daniel chapter 7, which looks forward to the future where one like unto the Son of Man will stand before the Ancient of Days, God the Father, and be bestowed with glory and with the kingdom. Jesus is standing before them saying, I am him. I am that son of man. And this is my moment to be glorified. The father is going to glorify himself in me as I glorify him and bestowed upon me will be the kingdom. And you and I would think that the road to glory is paved with high moments, one high moment after another. But Jesus demonstrates something different. Stay with me for a moment. That the road to glory runs through a cross. And that's hard. That's hard because it doesn't make sense. And that's the point. Is that following God means there are going to be times when it's not going to make sense. Jesus knew that he was called to obey the Father in this way, but it did not make sense to his disciples, but he didn't let that detour him. He remained obedient to the end. And there are going to be things that God will call you to do that you can't wait for consensus or a majority vote to do. You're going to have to stand at times with you and God alone on your side. But remember this, you plus God equals a majority. Don't wait till everyone has consensus on God's will for your life. 
I remember going through college. My parents sacrificed a lot. They both worked two jobs. At one point, my mom was working 80 hours a week to help put her son through college. When I graduated, it was a glorious day for the entire family. I had gotten several internships and a couple of really promising job offers that were waiting for me after I was done with school. A couple with signing bonuses to uh, kick in if I were to agree to go to the company. My parents couldn't be more ecstatic. Their investment paid off. Imagine the joy when I came into their room to say, Mom, Dad, God has called me to be a youth pastor. You laugh because I think you realize there's a difference in pay scale between going into corporate America and being a youth pastor. My mom began to preach to me from the gospel of common sense. Have you ever read that book? I'm still trying to find it in the Bible. She's a sweet lady, but she said to me, you need to take one of these jobs. I remember my uncles taking me out on the porch saying, you're killing your mother. What are you doing to her? But yet I knew in my heart what God had called me to do. And as hard as it was to look my mom and dad in the eye and to say, I'm sorry, but I got to obey the Lord. I knew I needed to. Years later, um, they both affirmed that I chose the right thing in following Jesus this way. But I couldn't wait for consensus. So friends, what am I saying to you today? I'm saying don't miss your moment to confess and repent. If today is the day where Jesus says, I know you're about to betray me. I know the secret sin of your heart. It may be secret to men, but it's a scandal in heaven. Repent. I'm asking you to trust and rely on the power of the Spirit. Put no confidence in the flesh. And I'm asking you to obey God even when others don't understand. And if you do, he will be glorified through your actions and he will glorify himself in your life. I ask you as today, your day, If today is your day of repentance and salvation, please don't miss the moment. But today, let's honor God. Let's glorify him as we trust in Jesus and love one another. Father, I pray that in a world that is marred by political debate, that we would see the humanity of people. I pray in a world in which we're all so busy that we wouldn't be moving so fast that we miss opportunities to serve. And I pray in a world that sends so many confusing messages that we would rely on you, our firm foundation, that uh, we would live in a way that says yes and amen to all that you've called us to do. It's in your mighty name we pray. And all God's people with a loud voice said, amen and amen. Come on and give God praise. Well, praise God and amen. I hope that message spoke to your heart. I hope it encouraged you to know that Jesus has laid out for us exactly how we can follow him with humility, with honesty. You know, the beautiful thing about the Christian life is it never starts with this false thought that we can earn our way to God or work our way to salvation. It actually starts with the opposite premise that we can't, that every single one of us are in need of a Savior. And so I know I've said it before, and and I want to, at the point or risk of redundancy, say it again, that if you know you need grace, if you know you need forgiveness, if you are currently experiencing the fallout and consequences of bad choices and decisions, I just will tell you that one good choice can change your total life trajectory. It can make up for a myriad of bad decisions. 
that one good choice is to say, Jesus, today I want to follow you. And if that's you, I want to give you a number to call, 888-NEED-HIM. Can you do that? Call it now, 888-NEED-HIM. Well, friends, I can't wait till we're together again next time. Until then, remember, Equip with Chris Brooks is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.